Alright friends, welcome back. Sorry for my little hiatus. Just FYI, I do have a little bit of a throat thing going on, so if I seem unusual, it's that. I'm not messing around with the audio here, trying to sound cooler. It's not a lot to be done to make this guy sound cooler. Maybe I could try it. Oh yeah. Well, let's get into Second Kings 18. And we're going to now be in the life of Hezekiah. And there's, I think, three chapters of Hezekiah's life. So that's a significant amount of time spent here. So often one of the ways to be in sympathy with what the author of the scriptures is, is caring about is just to say, like, how much time is he devoting to this? How much time is the Lord devoting to this story? And so when you have a multi-chapter life, um, this person is saying this is an important person. So at the beginning of Kings, we have multiple chapters about Solomon. And that is a way of communicating that Solomon is an incredibly important figure in the history of God's people. And so Hezekiah also gets a number of chapters about his life. And so this is a way of honoring him. And, you know, he's not perfect by any means, but it is a way of honoring him. And saying that God was working here and good stuff was happening. Verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. So uh, a lo longer lifespan, or a longer reign, not the longest, but longer. And his mother is Jewish, and so this is a good sign. It doesn't say where she's from. It says whose daughter she is, and I'm not sure off the top of my head if this Zechariah is an important figure maybe somebody will check it out maybe I'll research it and tell you next week and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done so this is like the highest praise you can give a king um, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and that he imitated David this great king and remember David isn't just there as an exemplar David is the one who received the promise from God as a man after God's own heart he received this promise that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel forever and so that's why he's continually brought back it's not just a physical thing a genealogy thing it reminds us of God's sovereign promise and it's interesting that when the northern kingdom of Israel gets destroyed it's actually during the reign of a really good king in Judah who is following in his father David's footsteps and now here is a uh, in verse 4 we're going to find out why he's especially awesome and it's because he removed the high places for he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and he broke in pieces the bronze servant that serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. All right, so um, this is one of the things that made Hezekiah great, is that he, he led a revival amongst the people. And this revival included removing these religious offerings places that had persisted for centuries, really, as being like a thorn in the side of the worship, true worship of God in Judah. And maybe part of it was because Israel was so weakened, and maybe they just thought, like, who would want anything to do with acting like Israel? Uh, I'm not totally sure. And then there's this also this other um, mention here. Now, you might remember, from, I think it's from the book of Numbers, um, there's this incident where God sends fiery serpents among the people, and um, in order to pacify 
the God's wrath against the people um, and to see them delivered. Moses makes this bronze serpent and puts it on a pole and the promise is that if anybody is bitten by a snake and looks to the pole, they'll be healed. And this is, of course, a picture of Christ where Christ um, comes to save a people who are poisoned by their own sin, and then he is made to be sin. That's why the image of this, the snake image is of the problem. Um, human sin is the problem, and on the cross, Jesus is made to be human sin and killed as human sin for human sin. But if we look to him in faith, we are healed. And so God in his ultimate creativity and wisdom acted out being saved by faith in Jesus Christ through this scene with the snakes now of course because the 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 sin of uh, the human heart wasn't fixed by these physical healings um, and of course because Israel just kept falling away from God they took this symbol of God's saving grace and his saving power and they turned it into an idol and they were worshiping this snake idol and Nehushtan means like snake and Nahash is, means snake Nahash and so this this they call it like snaky um, but they were worshiping this this thing falsely it was a gift from God to have it made but they turned it into an idol and were worshiping it as an idol and so um, Hezekiah breaks that thing to pieces too so he's living a purifying re reformation in Israel and a revival verse 5 he trusted in the Lord the God of Israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments of the Lord that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. And he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Okay, so we have these prophetic statements. These are summaries that, that tell us God's perspective on what was going on. Um, God saw Hezekiah as a man who held fast to him in trust and then God declares to us that the Lord was with him and prospered him because of it and I was thinking about this because in the last chapter or two um, the northern kingdom rebelled against the king of Assyria and I said that that rebellion imitated their rebellion against God and that's why they were destroyed and now in this chapter we find that Hezekiah rebelled against Assyria and that rebellion had to do with faithfulness towards God he didn't want to uh, serve a pagan king, <clears throat> and God was with him in it. Um, and so it's interesting that both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both rejected uh, being our servitude to the king of Assyria, but they did it for different with different hearts, and because of that, the northern kingdom was crushed by Assyria, and we're going to find out that the southern kingdom is saved by the Lord from Assyria. Verse 9, in the fourth year, the king of Hezekiah, the king of sorry of king hezekiah which was the seventh year of hoshea the son of elah the king of israel shalmaneser the king of assyria came up against samaria and besieged it and at the end of three years he took it in the sixth year of hezekiah which was the ninth year of hoshea the king of israel samaria was taken so we read about that in the last chapter the king of assyria carried the israelites away to assyria and put them in hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. So we're having a, uh, a repetition of why when the northern kingdom rebelled, 
they were destroyed and ultimately it was because they had been persisting in rebellion against God and his servant Moses um, for generations. And, and it's interesting to notice that this Moses is brought up again like um, Moses made the serpent which needed to get destroyed because it was an idol. Hezekiah obeyed Moses. He kept the commands of Moses. These guys did not keep the command of Moses. So we're being reminded again that faithfulness, true faithfulness to the Lord in the Old Testament times had to do with honoring the word of God that came through Moses. In the New Testament times, we include the law of God in Moses, but um, we have the greater Moses, but we are meant to be a people of the word, and we are the people of the words of Christ and his apostles. And it isn't possible for us as believers in Jesus to say, I believe in Jesus, while we reject the words of Jesus the same way the Old Testament kings couldn't say, I'm a king of Israel and reject the words of Moses because those were the words of God to them. Verse 13, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So there's been some kind of um, kingship swap and we got rid of Shalmaneser. Was that the one? Uh, yeah, Shalmaneser is gone and now Sennacherib is on the throne and he's miffed about the southern kingdom's rebellion and he's going to go back and try to take back what was stole from him in, in his mind. Uh, he's a very powerful king and very successful in war and he does actually um, take cities from Judah. So Judah isn't just like Superman against some thug just beaten, beaten up on Assyria. Assyria is a superpower and Assyria is winning these battles against Judah. And can you just imagine how tense it would be if you were living in Judah and you just kept hearing that Sennacherib keeps destroying towns? Like, wow, that would be terrifying. 14, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, uh, I have done wrong, withdraw from me, whatever you impose on me I will bear. Okay, so he's trying to sue for peace because he'd rebelled. Um, and the king of Assyria, this is scripture, required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, had overlaid and gave them to the king of Assyria. So this isn't a good moment. This is very fleshly responding. And again, I'm not sitting in judgment because I've never been attacked by a superpower with all of his army. But I, as I read the story, like it's never good when the kings go and pillage God's temple for gold to buy off foreign kings. Uh, verse 17, And the king of Assyria sent to Tartan and to the Rabsaris and the Rabshekah with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper poor, pool, which is on the highway of the washer's field. When they called for the king, they came out to them. There came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So I think this is would be common back in these days where they're, they're like emissaries and royal officials doing all the legwork. There's the Rab Cyrus and the Rab Shekah, and Rab just means great. And I think the Rab Shekah means like the, the great drink, and so he would be like in charge of the king's cup. I think that's how they understood it. 
who the king's on his throne and one person's in charge of his food another person's in charge of his drink and these people weren't just like slaves they would be royal officials in charge of these things and so the king is staying at a certain place and he's sending some of his high officials to go and threaten and uh, conquer the city just with words and when they get there <coughs> king uh, hezekiah sends out some of his royal um, servants to go and talk with these guys but the kings don't meet face to face here verse 19 and the rabshakeh said to them say to hezekiah thus is the great king the king of assyria on what do you rest this trust of yours okay so as soon as he starts talking about trust this is a faith issue and uh, this is going to really displease the lord verse 20 do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war and whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me behold you are trusting now in egypt that broken staff of a reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it such as pharaoh king of egypt to all who trust in him but if you say to me we trust in the lord our god is not is it not he whose high places and altars hezekiah has removed saying to judah and to jerusalem you shall worship before this altar in jerusalem come now Make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. This is a very interesting summary of discussions. This might have been just a speech. It, it's more likely, I think, a summary of the speech. But there's lots of interesting dynamics going on here. So number one, they, he wants to um, shake any confidence that these guys might have in um, an alliance, a rescue alliance from Egypt. This is, seems like it happens more than once where people in Israel, because they're neighbors with Egypt, and Egypt was a power, not really a superpower ever since Moses was done with it, but definitely a power. And they would, you know, send money to Egypt, hoping that Egypt would come and attack the Assyrians, and maybe they'd end up being servants of the Egyptians. However, Moses did say to his people, uh, you shall not go back to Egypt. And so this is a theme um, where God delivered Israel from Egypt, and they weren't they were really commanded not to go back there, not to go back there for horses, not to go back there for military assistance. So this, I think this is probably true that Hezekiah might have been trying to make a backroom deal with these Egyptians, but it's not good. Anyhow, the king of Assyria thinks for sure they're trying that, probably found out, probably has spies in the land. Um, and then he does a religious attack and he says, Oh, you guys are going to say you worship God, but it hasn't Hezekiah been removing high places? And now this is you, where you can see that they're thinking like pagans because they think that somehow removing the high places that God didn't want is going to be an insult to God. And so he's thinking as a pagan, he's thinking as an idolater where idolaters think the more idols, the better, the more high places, the better. So how can you be doing better if you are removing high places? But um, he doesn't know God's word that said, you know, I just actually want to be worshiped at my temple. When you build a temple, I just want to be worshiped there. A single place for all the, the people of God and all the nations to gather. Um, and then he says like, hey, uh, then he mocks them by saying, hey, even if I gave you a bunch of tanks, you couldn't even drive them kind of thing. Give you a bunch of horses, you wouldn't even find people to ride them. Um, and then he in verse 25 talks about how it's some kind of word that one of the prophets had been prophesying against Israel they've they've heard of this so they're quite educated um, they maybe got their hands on like 
an Isaiah scroll or a previous one. And so he's saying, hey, the Lord has even called me up against this land to destroy it. And so, again, has like enough truth to do himself harm, but not enough truth and faith to really serve the Lord. He should have been, uh, he should have been saying like, he should have had a humble attitude about the Lord. He's kind of like mocking the Lord before. And then now he's going to say, oh, and the Lord told me to do this. So definitely kind of like a secular idolatrous view of how this works and because of that he's going to really provoke the lord to anger because the lord did call assyria to be a punishment to the land there'll be a punishment for the northern kingdom for sure but just that previous success did not guarantee future success if assyria becomes proud remember that one of the great themes of all of human history every place everywhere is god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and if the king of assyria had stayed humble or had out-humbled Hezekiah, there's a good chance he might have been successful here. But because Hezekiah is going to be the one who humbles himself, and the servants of the king are going to enter into pride, they're the ones that God is going to turn against. Verse 26, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, the son of Rabshakeh, said, or said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So they want this to be a discreet, you know, negotiation. Um, verse 27, But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to, and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? So he's saying you guys are going to have like a terrible, terrible siege, and you're going to be reduced to absolute atrocity. So why don't I just tell everybody? But he's doing psychological warfare. This is a psyop. He's trying to spread fear. This is like when the forces of Mordor were going up against Gondor and launching the heads over the wall just to terrorize them. They're hoping by inspiring terror, they'll force um, they'll force them to surrender without having to fire a shot. Verse 28. When the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of all Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree, um, and each one of you will drink the water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hannah and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hands? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hands, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? All right, so this is where things really go into the pride zone and where um, the Assyrian envoys are asking for disaster. Um, they're essentially just boasting, saying, like, um, I am greater than the gods of this country, and I've proven it by defeating every nation and its gods. And there is some, maybe there, it makes sense to them since they defeated the northern kingdom, but <coughs> this is really going to provoke the Lord to wrath because they, they're saying that um, the Lord can't deliver these people and the Lord does not like being told what he can and cannot do by mere human beings. 
36. And the people were silent, and answered not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. So good for them, they are humble. Then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Okay, so they've torn their clothes as a sign of humiliation. Um, so again, humble, obedience to the king, humble, tearing of clothes. And that ends this chapter. And so... Um, the chapter's over, the story isn't, so um, we're going to leave on a bit of a cliffhanger, and we'll need to get you back here, same bat time, same bat channel. But what we're just seeing here is this setup for the story. We're told that Hezekiah's a good king because he believes in the Lord. We're told that he's a good king because he's removed the high places. Now comes this foreign king who God has given him uh, military success, not because the king was a, necessarily a good guy, but God, he is God's tool for expressing wrath against unbelieving nations. Um, and now they become proud, and God does not like pride, and so he's going to do something about this arrogance. But we, what we see here is the setup where the people of Judah are humbling themselves. Um, the king of Hezekiah tried to buy them off, and they didn't get bought off, and now they're humbling themselves in front of a proud pagan king, and we're going to see what God does in the next time. Amen.